If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3. It's one of the letter of Paul's. If you're new to our church, if this is your first time here, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And if we've never met, thank you, gentlemen. If we've never met, I'd love to meet you before you head out of the building today. But we've been on a series, a sermon series, focusing on our rule of life. Every 12 to 18 months or so, we return to the particular practices that God has called our local church to embody and to live out in the world. And our rule of life has four dimensions to it, four directions to it, four areas of discipleship and following Jesus in the world. And we named those areas prayer, rest, relationships, and work. And every dimension, every direction speaks about a particular orientation of our lives. Prayer speaks to the upward dimension, rest, the inward dimension, relationships, the withward dimension, and work, the outward dimension. And so it's upward, it's inward, it's withward, it's outward. A rule of life uh, is a structure. It's a pattern for our lives that enables us to pay attention to God in everything that we do. And for those of you who are new and you hear the word rule, you might have an allergic reaction to that, an emotional uh, allergic reaction to that. And the word rule does not mean in this context do's and don'ts, uh, shoulds and should nots. It really speaks to a particular structure. The word rule in Latin in this context speaks to a, a trellis, a structure uh, that a grapevine or any vine attaches itself to to help it grow upward, to help it grow outward to bear fruit. And so a grapevine, if a grapevine is not attached to a particular structure, it just remains on the floor, on the ground, not producing fruit, not growing upward and outward. But when it attaches itself to something, uh, it it allows itself to, to bear fruit, to grow upward and outward. And our lives are to be attached to Jesus, but also attached to a particular set of practices, a framework for our lives. And we've talked about prayer, the framework of rest, the framework of relationships. Today, we're going to talk about the framework of work, the work dimension of our lives. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, when the Apostle Paul talks about servants and masters in this context, it's it's more akin to an employee-employer relationship as opposed to slavery uh, as we understand it in the history of our country and in the history of the world. But we're talking about the workplace. We're talking about employers and employees Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, servants, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a result. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Before I preach about work, I want to define what I mean about work. There was a marketplace theologian by the name of Paul Stevens. And Paul Stevens created, I think, a helpful definition to help us understand what we mean when we talk about work. Dr. Stevens says that work is any purposeful expenditure of energy, whether manual, mental, or both, whether paid or not. And working off this definition every day, The vast majority of us are working, whether in manual labor, whether in mental, whether in both, whether paid or whether not. And so whether that work is making the bed 
or making presentations, whether that work is fixing a meal or fixing a broken bone. Much of life is about work. And for many of us, we have a hard time with that reality. For many of us, we have a hard time with work. There's something out there called the Sunday night blues. Friday comes and we're thrilled, we're excited. Joy and relaxation is about to kick in the weekend. Saturday comes and that joy and relaxation overflows into that day. Sunday comes and we're just happy to go to church and joy and relaxation and friends and good meals comes. But then something happens around 6 p.m. on on Sunday. The Sunday night blues begins to hit. We think about work. We think about the work that's waiting for us. We think about the coworkers we can't stand. We think about the boss that we don't like reporting to. We think about the work that we are already behind on, and the Sunday night blues hits us deeply. When we think about work, a large portion of people, particularly in this country, are not happy with their work. There was a study done by CBS News that gave some statistics about our approach to work. And the data is not pretty. It says 84% of workers are not in their dream job. 80% of employees do not think their job is fun. Only 50% of employees are satisfied with their job. Every year, 2.5 million people will quit their job. And 32% of workers call in sick when they were not. None of us, of course, in this church, but out there. And yet with all this before us, I want to make a bold statement. And the statement is this, that the workplace is the primary place for spiritual growth. The workplace is the primary place for spiritual growth. You might say, I thought church was the primary place for spiritual growth. No, no, no. The workplace is the primary place for spiritual growth. And whether you are a stay-at-home parent, a teacher, a lawyer, work in construction, a police officer, an accountant, it's the primary place for our spiritual growth. It's the primary place for our spiritual formation. And one practical reason that this is the case is because we will spend an inordinate amount of time at the workplace, surrounded by different kinds of people. In a given lifetime, the average American will spend over 100,000 hours in the workplace. And when you factor in the commutes and traffic, when you factor in subway delays, there's a lot of time that is connected to work-related activity. And that's not, that's just the paid work. That has nothing to do with the unpaid work. The laundry, the, the dishwashing, the grocery shopping, the balancing of the checkbook. There's a lot of paid work and unpaid work that we give ourselves to on a regular basis. And yet, the workplace and our work is the primary place for our spiritual growth. It's important. And so what I want to do is I want to ask you a question. And with this question, I want you to just turn to your neighbor for about 30 seconds to respond to the question. And the question very simply is this. Would it be good for your soul to have so much money that you never had to work again? Turn to a person, someone on the side, introduce you. Answer that question. Would it be good for your soul to never have to work again?
I could feel it in the room. Yes, of course. It'd be good for my soul. My soul would be so happy if I had so much money. I never had to work again. But I want to tell you biblically and theologically, it would not be good for your soul because you were created in the image of God. And we are created in the image of a God who works. We see this at the very beginning in the Bible. It takes just five words in the Bible to see that God is a worker. In the beginning, God created. From the opening pages, from the opening sentence in the Bible, it might as well have said, in the beginning, God worked. He creates. He sets things into motion. He, he sets things in order. In the beginning, God created. The Bible depicts God as a worker, as a creator. Now, this is a, a, a big contrast to the Greco-Roman gods of mythology. In, in Greco-Roman mythology, the gods are sitting back, just enjoying a latte, enjoying a, a good drink, enjoying some grapes, just reclining back because the gods of Greco-Roman mythology were too good for work. But what we see in the opening pages of the Bible is a God who gets his hands dirty, a God who works, a God who creates and sets things in motion, and we are made in the image of this God. And as a result, we're called to work. In Genesis, we see that God is a worker. In the Gospels, we see that God in Christ is a worker. I love that in Jesus, he, he lived 33 years, but for the vast majority of his life, he was not a preacher. He was not a healer. He was not a rabbi. For the vast majority of Jesus' life, he was a carpenter. He made tables. He made furniture. He got splinters. He worked with his hands. And so whether it's God in Genesis or God in Christ in the Gospels, we see that God is a worker. At the beginning of the Bible, there's work. At the end of the Bible, there's going to be work as well. Many of us, when we think about our image of eternity, our image of a new heavens and new earth, many of us have a picture in our mind that we're just going to be on the cloud singing to God throughout eternity. But when the new heavens and new earth are created, everything is renewed, everything is reconciled. And so it's not just God who's working in the beginning. Throughout all eternity, we will be working as well, apart from a sin-stained world, but we will be working. We will be creating. We will be shaping. And so if there's work in the beginning and there's work at the end, while we're in the middle, the way that we work is to reflect these realities. And the Apostle Paul in our passage today in Colossians is writing to a church that has separated their worship from their work. There was a, a split between their worship and their work, and Paul needs to address this. He has to bring some theology. He has to bring some perspective to this church. In this church, the book of Colossians is written to, this church had, if you will, the Sunday night blues. They did not want to connect their work and their worship. And yet Paul lets them know that because Jesus Christ is Lord, every aspect of human existence matters. To really understand this, you have to look at the beginning of the book of Colossians, what Paul is getting at. 
Because the book of Colossians is really about one thing. It's about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That Christ is the supreme one who has reconciled all things to himself. And because all things are reconciled and renewed in his death and resurrection, all things matter. The Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, not some things, in everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Because Jesus is Lord. Because in his death and resurrection and his ascension, he is Lord. He is reconciling all things, which means every aspect of life matters to God. Our private lives matter. Our public lives matter. Our sex lives matter. Our church lives matter. And what Paul is getting at is our work lives matter as well. There's, there, there is no work that doesn't matter to God. And there is no work that is holier to God than other work. My job as a pastor is not holier than what you do. Our work our, together, we are, we are creating and shaping. We are, we are, our workplaces are extensions of worship unto God. But for some people in the church where Paul is writing to, they didn't see it this way. There was a fundamental split between worship and work. And we see it in the way they were working. And Paul hears about this and he has some words for them. He knows there's a split between their worship and their work. And Paul says these words, don't just work when their eye is on you. Talking about their boss. Don't just work when their eye is on you. That little sentence right there shows that the Colossian Christians had a split. They worked one way when the boss is present. And when the boss called in sick, they acted a whole other way. And Paul is saying, don't just work when their eyes are on you. Now, this ancient problem is a reality we all wrestle with. Because there's often a disconnection between our worship and our work. And we fall into at least three kinds of extremes. When we think about our worship and our work being divided, not being connected. The first extreme we fall into is the extreme where we demonize our work. And we see our work as a necessary evil. We see our work as warfare. We see our jobs, our boss, our coworkers as uh, instruments of the evil one. Customers, we, we can't stand. And it's, we demonize it. We hate it. Instead of it being an extension of worship, it's an experience of warfare. And so it's just a necessary evil that I have to go through so I can do what I want on the weekends. And so in one perspective, we demonize our work. The other perspective or extreme is we divinize our work, that we expect our work and our workplaces to do for us what only God can do for us, which is why when someone loses their job or someone retires and they do not know who they are any longer, their fundamental identity is put into question. What, what might be happening is we have expected work to do for us what only God can do for us. We have, we have attached our identity to our work, which leads to idolatry. 
And idolatry very simply is taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. Taking something that's good and making it ultimate. Only God is ultimate. And so we, we either demonize our work, we either divinize our work, but there's a, a, another extreme that we go through as well. And I want to say it this way. We, we, we also degrade work. Particular aspects of work, particular jobs are beneath us. We're too good for that kind of work. That work is beneath us. We saw this happening very recently, a couple of months ago. Many of you are familiar with the Cosby Show, and, and there was a guy named, uh, an actor named Jeffrey Owens. And Jeffrey Owens is a well-known uh, actor, and he, his claim to fame was working with the Cosby Show. But uh, in between acting gigs, he would work at Trader Joe's. And as he's working at Trader Joe's one day, someone recognizes Jeffrey Owens. And someone takes a picture of Jeffrey Owens as he's working at Trader Joe's. And not only do they take the picture of him, they post it on social media as if to shame him. Saying, look at this actor. He was way up here. Look how far he has fallen in Trader Joe's. And it went viral. And the conversation on work began to happen in the public space of our society. Where people began to think, there's certain kind of jobs that are beneath me. But that's not a Christian perspective. Because all kinds of work, no matter what it is, whether it's a government official, whether it's Trader Joe's, whether it's a police officer, whether it's a stay-at-home parent, all kinds of work, when there is a purposeful expenditure of energy, whether mental or manual, whether paid or not, is, 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 is work unto the Lord. Amen. And so there's nothing, so, and so we either demonize work, we either divinize work, or we degrade it. The question for you is, is what's beneath you? Whatever's beneath you actually provides good access to what's in your heart. It reveals the pride. It reveals the idolatry. It reveals the things that we believe matter most. And Paul is saying, essentially, we are not to view our work this way. And so he, he, he's, he's saying, Jesus Christ has come to redeem all work. And he's making a connection between our worship and our work. That our workplaces are to be worship spaces. As followers of Jesus, we believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't just reconcile us to God. He reconciles all things to himself, everything to himself. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus, he is putting things back into place. Our relationship with him, our relationship with others, and our relationship to our work. And what we see in the Bible from the very beginning is that work happens before sin. I know you think work happened after sin, but work happens before sin. When we look at Adam in the garden, you see that God gives Adam the holy task of physical labor. He has him creating and shaping the garden. He has him uh, cultivating the beauty of the garden, of growing food and producing all kinds of things. After he gives him the gift of physical labor, he gives Adam the gift of intellectual labor as well, where he has Adam name the animals 
Name all of creation. But when sin enters into the world, our relationship with God is damaged. Our relationship with people is damaged. And our relationship to our work is damaged. And so Christ dies for us, not just to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us to each other and to reconcile us to our work. And so it is with that kind of underlying theology, the Apostle Paul in verse 23 says, as a result, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Moreover, in verse 24, he says these words. Why? It is the Lord Christ you are serving. In other words, your workplace is to be worship space. Because God is present there. We are, to, we are called, as it were, to full-time ministry. Now, at New Life, we use this phrase full-time ministry often. It is actually part of our rule of life as a church. And to be in full-time ministry uh, often for many people is relegated to church work, missions work, holy work. And so we hear things from time to time, and it's said around the country and around the world from time to time where people say, I can't wait to quit my job so I can go into full-time ministry. Or I can't wait to quit my job so I can do the Lord's work. And whenever you hear that kind of language, that's bad theology. Because all work has the potential to be the Lord's work. And everyone is in full-time ministry. Full-time ministry, to say it this way, means that we see our work as a place of worship unto God and a space to lovingly serve others. And so all work matters, especially when it's work that it, 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 the, the motivation of our hearts is to create worship space unto God because we are participating in the renewal and the reconciliation of all things. This is why Dr. King said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or as Beethoven composed music, or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that the host of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. And so whatever work we are engaged in is to be an extension of our worship unto God. Now I want to help us frame this and just offer three ways of seeing full-time ministry, three ways of seeing the connection between faith and work, three ways of seeing the connection between our workplace as our worship space. And throughout the years, we have come back to these three things over and over and over again. And repetition is important for our spiritual formation. And because of the challenges that we experience in our workplaces, we need to be reminded of our call. What does it mean to be in full-time ministry? What does it mean to connect faith and work? What does it mean to have our workplaces be worship spaces? When we think about our rule of life as a church and our personal rule of life, the first of three things I want to mention is that we are called to work for Christ because he is my ultimate employer. In other words, before we are called to something, we are called to someone. Whatever the job is, before you're called to that thing, you're called to someone. 
And our very work, the way we work, is done out of worship and loving union. Why? Because Jesus is our ultimate employer. Now, very practically at New Life, we've, we've talked about what does this mean, that Jesus is your ultimate employer. Jesus is ultimately one, the one who's responsible for the work that you have there. And so if you are an accountant... As we say, you count your numbers with care as if you're doing Jesus' tax returns. (laughs) If you're a car car salesperson, you sell that car as if you're selling it to Jesus. If you're a computer programmer, it's Jesus' computer you're working on. If you're a construction manager, it is Jesus' home you're building. If you're in sanitation, you pick the garbage up that fell off the can because it's Jesus' block you're cleaning. If you're an educator, you just don't get by because you have tenure. Jesus is one of your students. If you're a musician, you play to give joy to Christ. He is your ultimate employer. Paul says it is the Lord we are serving. And so our rule of life means I am called to work for Christ because he's my ultimate employer. Secondly, it means that we are called to create and shape order out of chaos, that God has sent you there. To create and shape order out of chaos. Any, any chaos in your job? Any, any drama in your job? Any bad attitudes on your job? Any, any gossiping on your job? Christians are sent there to create order, not to, not out of, not to bring chaos. Amen. Let the church say amen. Not, not to bring chaos. But to create and shape order out of chaos. Whether you know it or not, listen, as a follower of Jesus, our very presence there is to bring stability. Our very presence there is to bring about something of God's life. To be a Christian in the workplace doesn't mean uh, we're evangelizing at every cubicle we can get. To be a Christian in the workplace is to be Jesus Christ for another. To show something of his grace, to show something of his love, to show something of his life. We are to be a a presence of stability. Where there is chaos, we are shaping order out of it. Which is why New York City employers should be thanking God that Christians are showing up. New York City employers should be thinking, you're a Christian? Thank God you came. But as many of us know, that's not the case. You're a Christian? Oh, no. (laughs) But we are called to shape, create and shape order out of chaos by our our very presence. There's a new lifer. His name is Luke. And some time ago, I was talking about work and talking about being a presence. And he sent me an email to talk about how this new perspective on full-time ministry has impacted him. And he works as an air traffic controller, a very stressful environment. And as he was hearing about what does it mean to be a stable presence, what does it mean to offer something of God's life to those around you, he sent me this email. And he said, as an air traffic controller, the sermon series on work has 
just encouraged me to be a quiet, calm, humble, self-controlled presence in a very loud, aggressive, panic-stricken, four-letter, every-other-word, high-stress environment. It's actually very easy to be a witness on the job. You just refrain from cursing for about 15 minutes, and people wonder what your problem is. It is slowly becoming a labor of love to organize and sequence massive airplanes hurling at each other at 400 miles an hour. And when conscious of the Holy Spirit, distress seems to lift almost as if the Lord were guiding the airplanes through the tangled web of the New York, New Jersey airspace. We are to be a presence to our world. Now, I know what many of you are thinking right now. Some of you are thinking, why did I come to church today? (laughs) Because you hate your job. And you're wondering, I did not need this message in my life today. Some of you might be saying, what if you hate your job? And if you hate your job, I want to just parenthetically just say a couple of things about those of you who hate your job, can't stand working there. It might be that God is equipping you here at New Life to create and shape a new kind of culture that doesn't yet exist. And God has sent you on assignment there to bring about something that doesn't currently exist. Which means that we need to view our lives from a kind of missional lens. When you look at Jesus and the way he lived, wherever Jesus went, he lived like he was sent. In the Gospel of John, over 25 times, Jesus says, the Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. Over 25 times, the Father has sent me. Wherever Jesus went, he lived like he was sent. And it just might mean that God has sent you there to bring about something that doesn't yet currently exist. And whether it's your department, whether it's with someone else, whether it's across the company, God has sent you there to create perhaps a new kind of culture. It might be secondly that even though you hate your job, God God might be forming something in you that he wants to come to the surface. Maybe he's forming the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe he's forming something of his character. And as you know, it is is, is, uh, in those moments in difficult environments where God begins to shape something in us that he couldn't shape in any other context. It might mean, thirdly, that God wants you out of that job, absolutely, and go ahead and start putting out your resume in other places. Go ahead and start asking around. Go ahead and and look for something else. But as you look for something else, as you're there, God is calling you to bear witness to his kingdom. And so to be in full-time ministry, to connect our worship and our work To see our faith and work connected means that we are seeing Jesus as our ultimate employer. We're creating and shaping order out of chaos. And then lastly, we are called to embrace a rhythm of work and rest along the lines of what I said last week. Our lives are not just about work. Our lives are not just about busyness. We need a structure for our lives to properly boundary work. That work can only go so far. And whenever work goes beyond the boundary, we find ourselves disoriented. We find ourselves in a a state of our soul, of our mind, of our bodies, because we cannot carry the weight 
of nonstop activity, of nonstop busyness. It's interesting that the, the, the Chinese character for busyness is the combination of two pictographs for heart and death, as if saying that busyness brings about the death of our hearts. And many of us have experienced that, that if you're busy and working nonstop, something is dying because something has not been properly boundaried. And so work is a gift, but work must have the proper parameters or else it begins to do for us what only God can do for us, give us an identity. It begins to sap us. It begins to drain us. And all of a sudden, we're in danger zone. Let me end with this. If you are a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, whether you love your job or hate your job, whether you've been there for 20 years or two weeks, whether you envision yourself staying there for the rest of your life or quitting by the end of this year. If you are there, Jesus has sent you there to offer something of his life, to offer something of his grace, to offer something of his love. And whether you're there for the rest of your life or whether you have one more week to go, Jesus has sent you there to bear witness to the life of God flowing through you for the sake of the world. Amen. Let's pray together. I want to invite our worship team to come forward. And as they come forward, some of you, you are in very difficult work environments. And you need God's strength, his wisdom, his life to fill you for the challenges that you have. For some of you, you need to capture or recapture a vision that the workplace really is an extension of worship. The way that we worship God in this gathering here is to be extended wherever we go. Some of you already are dreading tomorrow. Some of you wish you had work. Wherever you are on the spectrum, God wants to fill you in such a way, pour his life in you in such a way that we recover this vision of the goodness of work and recapture this vision of our call to be sent into the world. Lord, would you give us grace and mercy Would you fill us with a new vision? Fill us with your life. And may you give us new energy, new joy, new perspective to see ourselves in full-time ministry.
to connect our worship and our work. And so, Lord, we sing to you now words of praise, words of hope, words of love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing together. I'm laying down my life, I'm giving up control. I'm never looking back, I surrender all, I'm living for your glory on the earth. This passion in my heart, they're stirring in my soul, to see the nations bow. For all the world to know, I'm living for your glory on the earth. For the sake of the world, burn like a fire in me, light a flame in my soul. in my heart this passion in my heart this stirring in my soul to see the nations bow for all the world to know I'm living for your glory on the earth for the sake of
Amen. Amen. That's our prayer. That's our heart. Amen. Let's have our prayer team come to my left. We'll have the Lord's uh, table. Uh, Pastor Matt will offer the bread and the cup uh, to us. But for some of you going into work, you're nine to five, if you will. It's a very challenging reality. And the reason we end with prayer is because we need all the resources of God. God's love, God's power, God's wisdom to, to work in a way that brings Christ glory, that works for the common good, that seeks to be a signpost of the kingdom of God wherever you go. And so maybe you just need someone to pray for you. Maybe you're looking for work and you need God's provision in your life. You just want someone to pray for you as well. Whatever need you have, our prayer team is here to pray for you. And to my right, we have the Lord's table where we come and take bread and we dip it in a cup. And the sheer fact that Jesus left us bread and wine, bread and a cup, something very material, he left it for us to remind us that everything that we see, everything we can touch is holy, is sacred, and matters. And so whether you come for prayer, whether you come for communion, let the Lord uh, lead you in that respect. I love that the first person in the Bible to be filled with the Spirit wasn't a rabbi, wasn't a pastor, wasn't a priest, wasn't a prophet, wasn't a mystic. The first person to be filled with the Spirit in the book of Exodus was a craftsman, someone who was working with his hands, someone who was helping to build the temple. And God saw it fit to fill him with the Holy Spirit as the first person. And when I read that and remember that, I'm reminded that no matter what you do, whether you're before screen every day, whether you work on the street, whether you're in a high-rise office, whether you are in your home, every location we find ourselves in, every aspect of work we find ourselves in, if God can fill a craftsman, God can fill you as well. And for whatever task that's before you, whether it's making breakfast, Lord, fill us, Lord, make that breakfast be good. If it's writing a report, fill us, Lord, whatever it is. Lord, may your filling, your life be extended, not just to moments in a church. May it be extended to every aspect of life. That's our prayer. And so I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Our prayer team is here. The Lord's table is here. And as the Lord leads you, please respond. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you. And may he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with a new vision of your work. Remembering that it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And may your work be an extension of your worship. And may those around you be blessed. And may you find your soul nurtured and flourishing 
even in the most difficult of workplace environments. May the Holy Spirit fill you to overflow. And may he fill you with his life. I bless you all today and the strong in the beautiful and the redeeming name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.